Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Most people have been gripped by both documentaries on both Netflix or Sky Atlantic or Now TV, wherever you want to, whichever method you happen to be using for watching it. And this is, of course, the murder of Sophie Tuscan de Plantier. December 23rd, 1996. The badly beaten body of Sophie Tuscan de Plantier is found in her nightclothes close to her holiday home in Skull in West Cork by her neighbour Shirley Foster. And the story goes on. And most people have been gripped by it. And most people find it difficult to understand because legally, I suppose, it is probably one of the most unique cases in Irish history. Uh, aside from the fact that, I suppose, in a small little town like Skull, where a lot of people are classed as blow-ins, um, and that's the term they use for most people who live there now because there's very few actual locals anymore, um, for something like this to happen, which hasn't happened since and hadn't happened before, the last time somebody, I believe, actually was murdered in West Cork was Michael Collins, um, it, it was quite, I suppose, disastrous for the local community. And... Everybody was talking about it and everybody became a suspect all of a sudden in a small local town. And I'm sure if you've watched the documentary, it really is something that really grips you. All across the world, people have watched these documentaries, particularly the Netflix one, which would have went all over the world. And I've seen tweets online from people from the United States, from everywhere, who are totally taken in by this story. Well, a man who knows more about the story and was featured quite a lot, by the way, in the Netflix documentary. Uh, Sophie, a murder in West Cork, is Michael Sheridan, who's a journalist and has written extensively on the actual murder. Uh, good afternoon to you, Michael. How are you, Niall? Uh, well, your book, of course, Death in December, uh, you know, talks about this murder in great detail. We all now know all the details, of course, and the timeline I'm of sorry, events. Niall, to interrupt you. My second book also, The, the Murder of Sophie, is high in the charts at the moment okay. on Amazon. Uh, just to let it was Death in December was written in 2001 and was the first book written. Uh, the second book is obviously uh, taken in all the the, the later evidence, happened. of course. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. okay go on. Sorry okay. No, that's okay. You you go ahead and plug the book, Mike, and that's why we're all here anyway. And, <laughs> and, 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 and by the way, blatant. Yeah, but, but I mean, look, so many people have an interest in it at the moment. I think they want to read yeah. everything about it. And of course, exactly. in a book, I always find with a book myself, you get more detail. You know, yeah. and, and I always say that a book and indeed radio paints massive images in the mind, which is probably better than any TV show. But Michael, I mean, look, this story has taken mm. on so many different facets at this stage. Mm. We've had two libel cases. We've had Ian Bailey arrested twice and released twice. We've had his partner, Jules, questioned as well in relation to it. We've had Ian Bailey found guilty in a, in a Paris court, yeah. found guilty yeah. of murder and given 25 yeah. years in jail. But the Irish yeah. government refusing to extradite him in the High Court only last October, which seems to be mm. the end of the story, so to speak. Um, so where does it go from here? Well, you see, Niall, uh, Ian Bailey, as we all know, uh, reported uh, on the murder. He was one of the first uh, people at the crime scene. Uh, and there he met uh, uh, a guy called Eddie Cassidy, who worked for the Cork Examiner newspaper. And he said to Eddie at that stage, this story is going to run and run. And he's absolutely right. But I think what makes it more fascinating for people uh, is that... Uh, it, there were so many twists and turns in it, which you, many of which you outlined there. And uh, Bailey was riding high for quite a long time. Then he was defeated in the, the, the libel action, which in actual fact resembled more... Like a trial. Uh, uh, indeed. Yeah. And, and which well, he certainly didn't do himself any favours in the libel cases. He certainly did not, nor no. later did he do in the high court civil action against the, the state. 
Then we had the scenario of Mary Farrell, who I interviewed uh, after the libel trial. Now, to, to remind people, Mary Farrell, of course, is the one Ma- who originally... Mary Farrell, Mary Farrell was a, a woman who came forward uh, uh, to make witness statements about seeing a man at Kilfather Bridge at three o'clock in the morning of the night of the murder. Uh, she subsequently identified Ian Bailey as being that man and stuck to her story for quite a long time, including in the libel action. Uh, the libel action revealed that she had been uh, extensively intimidated by Ian Bailey. To say, but that was her, her account of it, yes. And, and the 17 complaints were, were registered with the Gardaí. So forward to around 2005, the same witness who identified Ian Bailey completely and utterly retracted her evidence and said now that she had been put under pressure by the Gardaí to... Uh, to place Ian Bailey at Kilfada Bridge. Uh, yeah. yeah. Now... Um, that was uh, created huge shockwaves, you know, and it looked like... Well, it, well, it, it changed it, the whole case somewhat because she's the hmm. only one who actually had any real evidence because everything else was circumstantial. So she was, the, she was the key to this particular case. And when she retracted that statement, yeah. that kind of took away everything, really, didn't it? Well, it apparently did. Now, I would contend as an author, as a person who'd been involved in the case since 2001, the people go on about circumstantial evidence, Niall, the vast majority of cases are solved by circumstantial evidence, not necessarily DNA. The fact that there was no DNA at the scene of the crime tells nothing. But was uh, it, Michael, can I ask you, sorry for interrupting, was it a botched investigation? I mean, this whole idea, for example, that you have a gate which is five foot by four foot, which had blood stains on it, mm. mysteriously disappears. The police took the gate, obviously, uh, you know, into custody, so to speak, mm. and, and the gate disappeared. I mean, was that a botched investigation? It certainly was not a botched investigation. That was a myth created by Ian Bailey. Uh, the fact that the gate was removed is a, it, neither here nor there. The blood samples had been taken before the gate was removed. The, the gate itself would have never played any important role in a, a criminal trial. But uh, no, that's a myth. They, and, and that's revealed in the Netflix uh, documentary in which the chief investigator is uh, Dermot Dwyer's interviewed and uh, Eugene Gilligan, a, a top-class uh, forensic guy who was at the... At Absolutely. The, yeah. But, yeah. They, so, but I suppose in, in those days, we were very new to DNA evidence and they talked about the fact that at the time they needed a certain amount of blood to have a positive DNA identification where they only true, had flakes true. of blood is what they said they only had at the time. Well, basically, I did. It was the first uh, uh, author in uh, The Murder of Sophie to completely have an analysis of why there was n- not sufficient blood at the scene. And that was simple. If a lot of journalists bothered to get up and d- did some basic research, they would have discovered the body had lain since 3 o'clock in the morning. I know to 10 o'clock before it was discovered first by Shirley Foster. And then obviously the police uh, took a while to come there. Now what, the weather that night was was, was uh, close to freezing. There was a high wind because the, ha- the house is up on a, a cliff slope. And also in, this, in the early hours of the morning, after half eight, the sun came out. All of those factors, it's well established, dilute beyond proper examination, uh, forensic evidence, and most importantly, 
was no it, evidence. Was it true that the state pathologist didn't arrive until 24 hours later? That is, that is, of course, absolutely true. And it was an oversight which shouldn't be uh, forgiven easily. On the other hand, the temperature at the time was uh, zero and below zero. So the process of decomposition in the body is, is slowed up considerably. That's no excuse. Can, can, can I ask you a question, Michael? Watching yeah. both documentaries, and I haven't watched mm. all of the Jim Sheridan one yet. Mm. I've, I've watched most of it. And mm. I've watched all of the Netflix one. Mm. Um, but would it be fair to say that the focus has been on Ian Bailey from the very, very start of this to the very end of it to right yes. to now, okay? Yes. And, and yeah. is in some sense... That the wrong thing to do. That maybe, just maybe, and of course he is the main suspect in the case as far as the Irish government is concerned, as far as Irish law is concerned. He was found guilty in a French court, we know that. But by taking the focus away from everything else, are we we missing something else, maybe? No, absolutely not. Ian Bailey uh, was uh, was taken as a suspect because... In his interviews, in his, in his uh, answers to questionnaires, he completely and utterly regularly shifted his version of events. He said he was at home all night, that he never left the bed, and later admitted he actually left the bed. But well, this is went, after Jules had been questioned and said that he did get uh, up in the middle of the night. Jules, yes. And Jules told the truth. Absolute truth. And she said she didn't hear him or feel him leaving or anything. He eventually admitted in interrogation that... He had actually left the bed and gone to the studio to write uh, an article. There were scratches all over his hands and his forearms. Now, he had, uh, he, he had an he, alibi for that, saying a turkey had did it and uh, some bramble when he was cutting uh, down the tree. Yeah, but the problem about his, uh, his version of that was he said it happened on the 22nd of December, the day before the murder. And that night in a pub, he played the bar on. Uh, with his with his sleeves right up uh, above his forearms, and six witnesses said that he hadn't got one scratch on him. So, mm-hmm. why would he say that? He then made uh, at least twelve confessions to people. He was placed outside uh, uh, the house in Kelfada Bridge, which he denied, of course. And those circumstances and those. Uh, differing versions of what he uh, said about his movements on the thing naturally brought him under attention. Hey, well, he, he, admi- he admitted it to Malachi Reid, of course, and, you know, but in saying that, then we're relying on the evidence of those individuals too. No, no, you, no, no, no yeah. yes, absolutely, but also 12 other people, the Shelleys, most importantly, when he started crying and held Richie Shelley and said, I did it, I did This it, is during the barbecue that he had, yes. Yeah, yeah and then... Uh, Maliki Reed, who was so frightened and traumatized, he didn't say anything about it. He said it to many other witnesses, both foreign and. Uh, now, he, was, he was saying his argument, of course, was that he said this as dark humor, um, that it was a dark story. In other words, that he was saying it in some sort of cynical way to them. Of course, well, I'm well, the murderer. Well, yes, everybody thinks I'm the murderer. I must be the murderer. So, and well, this is that, a- that, that is totally nonsensical excuse for it because. Many of the people he told were professional people like Helen Callahan, the news editor of the Sunday Tribune, Maliki. Not one of the witnesses he uh, uh, said this to and made those confessions to felt anything but shock 
and so much shock that they went to the police. Not one of them saw any trace of humour, black or otherwise. Okay, the other breakthrough they thought they had at one point was, of course, the burning of things at the back of his house. And, of course, they were Mm. looking for, at the time, the long black coat, Mm. etc., etc., that he was believed to have been wearing. Mm. Uh, Again, there was nothing found um, when they examined forensically this evidence. No, there was nothing left because when it was examined, everything was burned to a cinder. But... Well, let's assume that that were they were close. But there was a very important piece of evidence given in the Netflix documentary by a girl called Ariana Boreana. She was a friend of one of Jules' daughters who spent Christmas, uh, the Christmas of the uh, murder, uh, in the house. And she noticed that in one of the... Uh, in a bucket uh, in the bathroom. Yeah. Inside the bathroom, that there was uh, clothes soaking including a big, long, uh, black overcoat, which was the signature uh, dress of Bailey. Uh, Bailey happened, let's say it by coincidence, if we might think so, day before bought two litres of bleach in Lower Town in school. Now, we all know bleach is used to remove uh, blood stains. Uh, Further, she saw the scratches on her, uh, his hands and his, uh, his forearms. And she was told that this was a turkey, and she said it occurred to her that it was far more likely briars than it was a turkey because experts checked the turkey theory and the Christmas tree theory and found them totally incorrect. But I still, Michael, and I understand everything you said, and yes, all the evidence, the circumstantial evidence, and most of it is circumstantial witness statements, points to Ian Bailey. And of course, Ian yeah. Bailey took a case against the media on many, on, on, on a couple of occasions in relation lost. to this and lost, lost. his case. Because he the, took a case on the same basis in the High Court, the longest civil action in the High Court ever before, against the Gardaí, the so-called corruption and this, that and the other, uh, uh, etc., what you were talking about. But, but, then again, the, but again, it leaves me, Michael, back to the question that I asked at the start. When I watched it, and I said to myself, OK, you know, it's Ian Bailey, it's Ian Bailey. And the interviews that he did, by the way, for both Netflix and Jim Sheridan's, although I haven't watched it all yet, the Jim Sheridan one, but certainly uh, the interviews on the Netflix, mm-hmm. leads you to believe that he's an unusual character, to say the least. Um, and when you watch it, you can An unusual character who beat his partner within yes, each he, of our life three times. That's right. And, 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 he, and he admitted to that as well. Uh, but you can't help but think at the end of it, or I certainly did, that mm. yes, all the circumstantial evidence, all the witness statements, mm. everything mm. leads back to one person. There's no yeah. doubt about that. Yes, but you, absolutely. Yeah, and the French court found that, of course, in, the, in, yeah. in their investigation, in his absence, can I point out, of course. Because, well, that, because that was his choice. Yeah. You see, people talk about in his absence. If an innocent man would defend himself, he would defend himself in court. It was his choice not to go. Okay, and the Irish court, of course, assisted in that by not extradition. Uh, well, the- that, 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 yes, of course it did, but that's right. the, the judge made very clear at that hearing that this was not about guilt or innocence. It was about technical regulation. Okay, that's all. But, but again, I say to you, at the end of the documentary, I can't mm. help but think to myself... Did we miss something else by focusing all the attention on one person? No, why, no, that, no, I, no. I mean, Michael, I know you have your mind made no, up, and that's sorry, fair enough. Sorry, sorry, no, um, sorry. But, but the point is, you know, could we have missed something else? Could investigations have gone in a different direction? I mean, I don't, I'm not too sure if you see the whole investigation files. Was there other yes, leads? Of course, I, have. I, I mean, have, there was course. there was the suggestion, obviously, that her husband Danielle, um, or Daniel, obviously didn't want her to get half the alimony and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, and there was a, there well, was a I, suggestion I, well, of a hitman in the early days. That 
totally. Yeah. I interviewed for Death in December, Daniel uh, Toscan the Plantier. He told me, and I corroborated this with uh, other members of Sophie's family, that he was very happy at that stage. He, they had their problems and they had sort of split up for a while. But, and she was hoping to become pregnant and they were going to ho- uh, have a child. Now, that was corroborated, as I said, by other members of the family. The second thing is the nonsense that uh, Bailey is now promoting, saying an assassin came over from France. An assassin came over to a remote area from France where half a skull or two quarters of a skull, or I didn't in the first instance, couldn't find two or more. And then he didn't have a gun. He didn't have a baseball bat. He had to uh, fiddle around at the, uh, at her, around her house and find a rock and a concrete block. That is just... No, I, I don't think it. I think most people would actually rule about when you think about it like that. If it was a hard sure. assassin, I'm sure he was a very wealthy man at the time. If it was a hard assassin. I'm sure he would have done things a little bit more professionally. Absolutely. All right. And then there was a suggestion, obviously, if there was a boyfriend at one point as well. But there he, was. She, there I was. mean, look, Ian Bailey had written a number of articles at the time to discredit Sophie Tuscan de Plantier. Mm. Um, he did. You know, suggesting Wrong. she was a good time girl, I suppose, and a party yeah. girl. I mean, yeah, do you think that was intentional? It was, and in actual fact, if you read Bailey's very closely, his reports, which I have analysed in uh, the murder of Sophie, you will find that, as I did, checking out, he had no sources in the Gardaí, he had no neighbours, he fabricated and made up stories with no basis in them. And yet, he also wrote about details of the crime uh, and the crime scene which he couldn't possibly have known. At the well, that, well, that was mentioned that he must have had some of the best Garda insight or tech or, or contacts, yeah, which he yeah. didn't, by the way. No. Uh, yet he seemed to know an awful lot about the crime when uh, reporters were coming from all over the world. Of course, they would go to the local lad. That's always the way it would be with reporters. And he seemed yeah. to have all this information before anybody else. Well, look, it's an intriguing story, Michael. It and, is, and, it is, it is. And I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to, to reading both your books because I haven't read either one of them. Uh, Death in December was the first one, of course. And the second one again, Michael, was called? The, the, the Murder of Sophie. The Murder of Sophie, and that's available right now on Amazon. On Amazon and the book Depository, yeah. Uh, what do you believe, finally, before you go, will happen next? Do you know, a lot of us discussed this, the investigators, other journalists, uh, and we all come to we all come to the conclusion now there's going to be another twist in this story of what of what nature we can't predict at the moment. All right, well, listen, thank you very much indeed, Michael Sheridan. I really appreciate Thanks you coming on the air to talk about it. Uh, Michael Sheridan, both of his books are available. They're both available on Amazon. And if you are intrigued by the story, as most people have been watching these two documentaries over the last seven or eight days, I'm sure you will want to have a read of the books because the books, of course, will give you a better insight and maybe a little more of the wording in relation to witness statements that we're giving. Uh, and as we mentioned already, most of the evidence, circumstantial witness statements. Um, it's gone on for 25 years. And as I mentioned already, Ian Bailey found guilty in a court of law law in France uh, in his absence found guilty of murdering given a 25 year sentence here in Ireland he's a major suspect in the crime but the Supreme the Irish Supreme Court ruled in Ian uh, Bailey's favour uh, in an appeal to extradite him to France at the time and Michael Sheridan believes there will be another twist to the story God only knows but it would be lovely at some point if justice was found for Sophie Tuscan de Plantier a beautiful wonderful woman who sadly lost her life in Skull in West Cork all those years ago in 1996 and a story that will remain with us forever and it's part of Irish legacy now isn't it I mean maybe it's a little bit of a bad stain in Irish history particularly for French people looking at us 
Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits.